The Rugby Inheritance Podcast is brought to you in association with George Davies Turf, giving you the greenest grass for every lawn, pitch or playing field you have. Find out more at www.georgedaviesturf.co.uk. Welcome once again to the Rugby Inheritance Podcast. In this episode, we take a detour from the standard rugby guest and talk to one of the most inspirational people around. Matt Hampson was a promising athlete with his whole future in front of him when, in 2005, he endured a devastating injury while training with England under-21s. A scrum collapsed, dislocated his neck, severing his spinal cord, and he was left paralysed from the neck down. And yet, somehow, he turned his life around and set about creating a charitable foundation that now looks after everyone in a similar situation. He is an extraordinary person who has overcome adversity and become a hero in the rugby community. He's become a crucial friend to Ed, and this episode is a poignant and enduring representation of how you turn a negative into a positive. We hope it speaks to you like it did us. Thank you for listening. This is Rugby Inheritance. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ed Slater. Welcome to our corner of the internet. It's uh, another episode of what is being described by listeners as the best rugby podcast available. We have so many people tuning into each episode, uh, so many people reaching out, telling us that these discussions that we're having are having a a wonderful effect on everyone who listens. I'm just going to highlight two people who have done just that because our Podcast is inspiring them to uh, get out there and, and prepare for their own challenge. A shout out to Tim Tunnicliffe, who's running through Wales and Gloucestershire this summer. Uh, you can follow a little bit more of what he's doing at Rugger Run on Twitter. He's got all the details how uh, you can get involved. He's a wonderful human being, doing wonderful things. We love Tim, don't we, Ed? We do. Good luck, Tim. Another person is Sam Lana. If you're a rugby Norse, you'll be aware of Sam's work analysing the game of rugby with the likes of Oval Insights. He's a fantastic follower on social media. He's got in contact to say he's on the uh, Hilly Valley Classic in West Yorkshire. Uh, It starts in the Happy Valley Valley. If you watch that brilliant programme on BBC, that's where it starts. Uh, But there's three routes available to you on your bike. You can find out more by getting on the website, hillyvalley.co.uk. He's going to raise money for My Name's Doddy uh, and Calm incredible causes and great ways to get involved and get that old body of uh, of yours moving. Slates, how great to see people doing things for other people. Wonderful, isn't it? It is. And good luck. Hopefully it goes as well as his rugby clips on Twitter. <laughs> Indeed. Before we dive into our guest and almost as a lead in to our special guest, last night, Mr. Ed Slater, you were jointly awarded the Blythe Spirit Award at RPA Awards. A little word on that and what that means to you? It's humbling. I like to detract the attention away to, you know, Abby Burton and her battle. I found that story remarkable in the way she's come back from that. So, uh, yeah, obviously having a, a guest also a two-time winner who's already got one more than me. Um, incredibly grateful to the RPA for that award. Yeah, very nice indeed. And a little link to a man who joins us in the Rugby Inheritance Chair, Matt Hampson, OBE, as you mentioned there, two-time winner of the Blythe Spirit Award from the RPA. Matt, thank you so much for being on the Rugby Inheritance podcast. We're going to dive deeply into exactly what you've come to stand for in the game of rugby. It's an extraordinary story, but we're really, really pleased to have you with us. How are you, Matt? 
I'm all good. I'm all good. I I had a yeah bit of a turbulent time to start the year, um, but uh, yeah, getting there. The sun is shining, so I'm all happy. Um, I feel so much better. Um, I was talking to um, talking to a few of my friends this week, and just said how you don't realise how how important the sun is to us, and how how important getting out and about is, and having a bit of um, yeah, a bit, bit of space and a bit of time to reflect outside and a bit of sun on our face. I couldn't agree more with you. The sun is shining. Things are things are great. Usually in our Rugby Inheritance podcast, we we, we dive and trawl through the, the, the three main questions. And and the first one, I, I would like to take you back, if, if, if possible, to who gave you rugby? And, and in, in a sense, how did it all begin with you? Where did it all start? Where did the Matt Hampson story start? I think uh, just from being a pain in the ass, really. I was a very boisterous child, and my my mum and dad were a bit of a, a bit of a loss and didn't really know uh, what I could do with my life and how how I could channel my energy. And we had a next door neighbour, and he said she got Matt into rugby, and this is when I was five years old. So my mum my mum dropped me off at. Um, my local rugby club, Oakland Rugby Club, when I was five years old. I, I cried my eyes out the first session. absolutely hated it. And then, yeah, grew to love it. And I loved the social aspect. I loved the clubhouse. I loved a hot dog and a packet of crisps. Yeah, after the session. And yeah, just grew to love it. I just loved the, the family, the, the camaraderie, the team and ethos and just everything about rugby. Did your parents have any links for rugby or was it in the family or or were you the first one to go down the local rugby club? No, not, not at all. My, my dad was a footballer. So my dad is very much into his football. He actually played for Manchester United Academy. Decent footballer. And, and being from the yeah, northwest, very, very much into football. Um, no, no links to rugby at all, but I was a, I was a big lad. And and um, yeah, pretty pretty boisterous. So yeah, needed something to channel my energy into. Rugby was my my calling. Really, must have been difficult for him early on to look at the shape and realise you're not going to be a footballer. <laughs> I think the milkman was a big guy. So, um, <laughs> should really say that, you know. What What were the the early friendships and relationships? Because rugby and so many people have come on and, and spoken about the quality of the friendship that rugby gives you. Can you still remember those those early relationships you had had either with fellow players or, or or with early coaches? Can you can you name check a few people who are the, who are the people trotting out on the field with Matt Hampson? Yeah, there's a, a guy uh, a guy. Uh, called uh, Steve Beeland. Um, he was my first coach and he um, I, I, I mentioned him in my book and he, he's really honoured to be involved in my book um, and he, he, yeah really really good guy still keep, keep in contact with him uh, keep in contact with local rugby club if I can uh, try, and, try and help out if I can now and I love grassroots and junior rugby I think it's what it's all about and so I keep in touch with yeah Oakland Rugby Club and I, I was there until I was 12 and then I joined Sizeston Rugby Club and when various national competitions I've actually reconnected 
with a lot of the guys at um, Science and Rugby Club at the moment, uh, which is really, really good. And I've got a very good friend of mine, Matt Cornwall, who's uh, he's always been a massive support to me and always been a been a rock, really. When I bought to me, he was, he was amazing. Yeah, it, that's where it all sort of started, the foundation and the trust fund, and that's how it all evolved, really. We, we often talk about the idea of falling in love with rugby or rugby hooking you in and 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 and, and laying its claws into you and never letting go. Can you can you remember a moment that you thought, oh, you know what, I, I don't think this game's ever going to leave me? I think it was always always my plan. Really, it was it was always my plan to be a professional rugby player. Not really believing in. I think that was just all. All I ever wanted to do be a professional rugby player. So um, I had uh, next door neighbours who took me along to Leicester Tigers and we watched a second team game, and it was it was amazing. It, it, it was so all I ever wanted to do was be part of the ABC club, and that's that's that was my. Yeah, I was just in awe of these guys, the ABC club, and, and what they were all about. And um, yeah, going along to Welford Road and and um, just seeing seeing what it was all about. Really, one minute watching them on the field, and then the next sitting in a changing room and playing alongside, and actually scrimmaging. Against Grand Roundtree, scary moments, scary <laughs> moments, and, and going and going toe to toe with Grand Roundtree because we hit a scrum. Ironically, the scrum collapsed, and we went toe to toe. And I couldn't back down the first session against Grand Roundtree. Pretty scary times. Do you know what it's like, Ed? You're, you must have been you must have been the same with with guys who you sort of what's growing up and playing alongside you get pretty uh, intimidated but you can't back down because it's it's you know like Lou Deeks and people yeah. like that and, and, and one minute you're watching them and then next you're playing alongside and, and training against these guys and it's pretty intimidating and uh, pretty scary times really so yeah I remember do- I remember doing that against Wig and uh, yeah pretty scary times but Never backing down because if you just show show any sort of uh, weakness or anything like that, it's pretty. Yeah, I always think, Hambo, when um, to have that lesser side on your doorstep, and not only that, a lot of those guys grew up, born in Leicester, played at clubs in and around Leicester. Did that have a big impact on your rugby? through the junior years, grassroots level? Yeah, massively. I think we just took it for granted because we watched them growing up um, when, we were, when we were kids and we just thought that was normal. That's what it was. But it's, um, I remember watching them in the European Cup going, going to Paris and then the following year going to Cardiff and watching them win two European Cups and it was pretty, pretty amazing times really that that squad was unbelievable. Yeah. Every single player being an international player. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I, look, I look back at the uh, team photo 
been sitting there alongside, you know, Neil Bat, Martin Johnson, Martin Corey, Lewis Moody, Austin Healy. It goes on. There's so many guys that you can mention. You know, Jordan Murphy, the most talented fullback to play the game for me. It's ridiculous. Just a wealth of talent that had come through the academy. And I think as well, looking back on it, we talk about it now. It's just a surreal experience, really. Just a surreal experience. But you, you just take it for granted when you just sit alongside those guys. You say taking it for granted, but but at the same time, you must have been taking in so much. You must have just been, your eyes must have been everywhere, trying to watch them all, trying to trying to feed off them, trying to listen to what they're saying. How, how, how as a young player can you manage those environments when so much is coming at you? You're, you're kind of overawed a little bit by the environment that you're in. How did you handle that? I suppose I, I, I just, I was just pretty intimidated. So I remember, I remember Wig just saying to me all the time, shut up, Humbo, shut up, Humbo, shut up, Humbo. And that's because I was just so quiet. Um, <laughs> I really don't know how I cope with that. I, I think I just, I just was so in my, in my shell, as it were. And I think, I think it's, it's, um, it's strange. It's, Looking back on it, it's so strange. I, I think, I think it made me a better player because I think, I think talent breeds talent. I think if you play with better players, you improve as a player. You step up, don't you? You know, you know what it's like, Ed. Don't you? Yeah. If you improve as a player. If you if you've got really good players around you, you you step up. And I, th- I think it's just trying to soak up the atmosphere and soak up the environment really, and and try to improve every day and try to stay as humble as possible. I'll I'll add to that just because um uh obviously I've spoken to people about you, Hambo, as well. You know the 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 things that come back is you have a lot of fight in you. Your attitude was right up there and you were hungry. You know, and I, I think you're right about being around talent improves you, but you have to have a an attitude about you to be able to get to that level, don't you? And everyone I speak to, playing-wise, says, without a doubt, you had that attitude. You might have just gone about it a bit quietly if if you're saying you didn't speak much. But there was that, you know, that determination. You you just said that you always want to be a professional rugby player. So I'll, I'll get the impression you're 100% driven from an early age. Yeah, I think I, I, think I struggled as well in the fact that I probably wasn't a if it is probably wasn't the strongest, probably wasn't the most talented naturally, but I think I I did I did want it. Um I remember going into pre-season and always really struggling in pre-season lifting weights and not particularly the fittest or anything like that. But then when we got into the season I really came into my own and the fact that I think I was a pretty determined person on the field. I just wanted to be the best I could possibly be. Then I think for me as well, and there were there was guys around me who, was, who potentially had a lot more natural attributes in a, in a way. And I suppose I was pretty hard on myself a lot of the time. I was twenty years old, nineteen twenty, in the first team squad at Tigers and skinny necked um, prop forward. But I was just 
yeah, like I said, soaking up the environment, soaking up being around some amazing world class, world cup winning players, you know, and uh, yeah, pretty surreal experience. I remember Neil Buckingham into training ground and it's he played against South Africa and just had yeah, stitches all over his face and yeah, putting his head where you wouldn't put your feet. <laughs> um, yeah, unbelievable guy. Uh, and just unbelievable people around me, just an abundance of talent, really. Where did the drive come from? You mentioned it there, Ed references it a little bit. And and obviously we'll we'll talk about, you know, the 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 second half of your of your rugby life, if you like if you like, if I can be so bold to suggest that that that, that that's the way it worked. But wh- where did that that drive come from? And 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 do you recognize that being something that you had innately or something that you you worked on or was it your environment that you know your early environment not necessarily your rugby environments but other environments that you were putting in did that foster that drive that that determination things been written off from a from a very early age you know a lot of things i'm i'm really dyslexic i think people tend to write me off i think my mum and my dad have a lot of belief in me my family have a lot of belief in me because they know, you know, what I can achieve. But there was a lot of people around me who sort of put me down and because of my dyslexia at school. And I think I, I didn't really have too much choice. It was sort of being a rugby player was my, my niche and my, my calling, really. So I think it was for me, it's like put me down. You know, write, write me off and I'll, I'll, I'll prove you wrong. Yeah, it was just a real difficult time being at school because I think I don't really find something for me above rugby. I just, I just really wanted to be uh, the best I could possibly be on the on the field, really, and be be the best rugby player I could possibly be. R- rugby must have been. An, an outlet for you then must have been an, an opportunity in which to to find validation to find your your, your purpose definitely uh, amazing for me to do that something for me to sort of express myself and um, yeah feel that I could actually achieve the second part of our podcast is, is about what rugby gives you and and obviously I'm slightly tentative around this question because in, in March 2005 at Franklin's Gardens, rugby gave you the most heinous, most horrible, most unwanted gift it could possibly have handed out. You know, I have a question in other episodes where I ask where, where rugby was at its cruelest and what happened to you in that freak accident was unimaginably cruel. How, how on earth did you come to terms with from 2005 onwards, and I can only imagine that it would taken quite some time, how did you come to terms with what rugby had given you? Um, I think, um, yeah, I think I was so unlucky, so unfortunate, um, but then also very fortunate. If that makes sense. There was a lot of questions running through my mind, and obviously, my accident. I think I was in hospital and it was, it was obviously a really dark period in, in my life and it was a lot of questioning of why me, why me? 
And then the ascended around me. He didn't have one guess from one week to the next. Um, it was a real, um, real eye opener, really. And I had so much support from my family, my friends. I had to have a diary to book people in to come and see me, which is just <laughs> phenomenal. And see teammates coming in and seeing me. And I, I got myself so blessed to have that. And yeah, okay, I didn't know initially the severity of my injury. And I think I was quite, um, I don't know, blindsided almost. That I, I didn't really didn't really know that I was going to, how this was going to change my life forever. But then I, I, yeah, I saw so many, so many people that had had their accidents in so many different uh, scenarios and situations. I, I just thought, you know, you need to crack on and make the best of this and be a, almost like a figurehead really for, for what you can achieve and, and what, what you can do with your life after a serious injury. And I had so much support. I just thought, you know, you need to make the best of this. You're in a position now to help other people and show people that you, know, you can lead a great fulfilled life in this situation. And yeah, okay, I had dark days. I had, I had some really tough times, but you know, uh, life is a, life is amazing, and you just need to make the best of it in this situation and live every day and just enjoy what, what we've got, really. I, I count myself really unfortunate, but also moving on from that. I see myself very fortunate as well because I had so much support and yeah, some amazing people around me. I count myself lucky to know Hambo for a good few years now. And, you know, his, his attitude and what he's saying there is absolutely right. And, you know, uh, in my position now, I've taken a great deal from what I've learned off Hambo and what he's talked about. And more than that, his his actions, really. You know, to deal with that kind of accident uh, in the way he has is inspirational. I know he he probably doesn't want me to blow smoke up his backside too much. But yesterday when, when I was talking about M&D and people asking me about that, that picture of Kev Sinfield and Rob Burrow going over the line and I was talking about Kev kept being a, one of the most selfless blokes I've, I've ever met. Thinking today with Hambo coming on, it, it's the same for me. The way he's dealt with his accident and, you know, the work the foundation's done and the help he's given all sorts of other people, you know, to, to really be so selfless in that situation, you can't measure it really it's it's just incredible so right that's enough of that hambo <laughs> <laughs> yeah <piss> off, man. <laughs> do you know do you know what do you know the irony with ed and his situation because ed's gonna fucking hate this ed has always been a massive support of the foundation and that's for me, that's the sort of irony, but Ed deserves everything that he gets and the support that Ed has. Um, it's testament to the man. You are an unbelievable man and 
what you're what you're doing and the way you're conducting yourself is just awesome. And I know you're gonna absolutely hate us, but yeah, you you changing things for so many people, and I know what we've got coming up and how we're moving forward. And how we keep positive and how we support each other is just yeah, awesome. And I know the rugby families come out for you, and you deserve every little bit of help that you get. And um, yeah, it's the same with Rob Burrows. Same with you know what what Kev is doing for Rob. I think it's testament to the man, and it's the same same with yourself, Ed. You deserve everything. Yeah, the rugby family absolutely loves you. And uh, yeah, you find it like a true champ. Thank you, mate. You know, as far as foundations, as far as the charitable work that you now stand for and have have created a, an incredible, an incredible foundation that does incredible work, but it doesn't happen by accident. It would have taken a lot of time and a lot of effort. Can you remember the first time that you really started to see the effect that you might be able to have from the position that you were in there? Yeah, I suppose um, it's pretty early on, really. I remember um, being in the hospital and the England squad uh, donating their shirts to me. Um, from Martin Corrie, who was England captain at the time, and England were playing Scotland and both sides donated their shirts to me and how, how um, yeah, okay, it was a really important game, the Calcutta Cup. But actually, me and my, you know, my accident, they they uh, really wanted to support me and how would be looked after its own. I remember Jen Lone and Martin Johnson come and see me, see me in hospital and the players... Uh, Leicester Tigers squad come and see me and I think I think for me just seeing the effect that they look very similar to Rob Burroughs how Ruby sort of looks after his own I know it's a different code but how, how amazing the Ruby family is and how it's a, it's a small community relatively but what special community it is and in comparison to other sports and how it looks after its own and um, how special people are and um, not almost not forgotten about in that way, then yeah, I think the sport transcends the physical game on the pitch. Yeah, how it's, <laughs> I, I take so much inspiration from be and what what it's sort of given me. It's obviously taken away a lot from me, but it actually gives me more now than what it did before my accident. I love the idea of Martin Johnson and Jonah Lomu being the foot of your hospital bed. Was it was it your idea? Did you have the thought to think, you know what, that we can take this further, we can push this as far as it possibly can. Can you remember having that thought and that idea to to sort of take what you referenced there about the way that the rugby family was looking after you, but you then you then turned it into a situation where you were going to look after other people. Yeah, um, my experience is I had some yeah I had some amazing support from the rugby community, but some, sometimes I, I 
I really did struggle in hospital because I don't think they understood that I was actually a professional sportsman and I, I needed to be pushed. And, and then I came out of hospital as well. And obviously life goes on and people have their own their own lives to lead. <laughs> and, and quite rightly so. And I've, I, I, I didn't, I wanted to do something with my life, I wanted to achieve and, and carry on achieving. And I, I felt that I needed to, do something to, for people to to have something that transitional phase between leaving hospital and doing something great and fulfilling with their lives, whatever it may be, and wants to be that stopgap between that and and help them out to to find that to find their needs to find their purpose once again, and that's why I wanted to set the foundation because we wanted to help people. Physically and mentally, I think a lot of the time people come to the foundation. They see the gym, and they they go up in the gym, and then they see the bigger picture of the family, the community, and the camaraderie that you can have, um, have and just try to help them along with their journey. Because I, I felt like I was a, I had a bit of a loss when I um, came out of hospital. I needed to find my yeah find my purpose once again. And um, yeah, obviously the, the foundation was there and it's there for me to, to do that. We do have that really special community, which is which all stems from rugby. And all I've ever known since I was five years old, been having people like Ed support myself and the foundation. Got ourselves so blessed. You know, when I when I joined Leicester, one of the first things I read about and found out about was was Hambo. And that was actually through Richard Cockrell. Hambo's link with Leicester is probably, for me, one of the most important things about playing for the club and the way everyone rallied around that, but also what what Leicester meant to Hambo, because I know how much he loves Welford Road, how much he loves the club and what it means to him. And, And that feeling, you know, for me, had... You know, it's important that it's reciprocated. And I'm so glad to see, I said to you, Hambo, didn't know when I was at your dinner, to have Jack Van Portfleet and George Martin and James Whitcomb and Cam Henderson, that new fresh blood at, at Leicester. They're now ambassadors at Hambo. And, and it's so important that link carries on. Because um, I, I know the centre goes beyond rugby. But kind of, for me, that that was where it started for for Hambo, playing rugby, being at Leicester, you know, and then that carrying on through past the accident. The centre's just incredible. I mean, you you ask Hambo if he he comes up with the ideas. Ask Tommy, he's getting driven by Hambo all over the place to make sure they're pushing on, you know, making sure that the centre's as good as it can be, the accommodation is good, and... The number of times I've gone there, and there's just such good people involved in it. I'm sure, Hambo, you don't, you know, look back too much, but it's such a fantastic place, and that you that you built there, and I, I know you want to do more and more. Yeah, absolutely. We we, we do have uh, big aspirations. What we want to do, um, we we need to. We've got plans at the moment um, to extend the. Um, Centre and make it make it bigger to help more people and help more families. I think it's 
really important not to sort of look back, but also not to, you know, we we all need future plans. We all need we all need that, but not not to look too far forward in the fact that we just need to be present in what we're what we're doing. Um, and you know, I've sort of learned that from Tommy. <laughs> Tommy said, Tommy's trying to bring me back a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, we um, yeah, we do have a really uh, aspirational and exciting uh, plan for the future. And um, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. We've, we've got to um, kind of make the centre look bigger because we're going to help more people. Um, we've, we've got to have more facilities we're going to have more accommodation the, we're very fortunate in the fact that the, the support that we have from so many uh, construction companies which is phenomenal and yeah the, the the plans that we've got moving forward are going to be so so exciting but um yeah we need to uh yeah, focus on what we're doing as well and give ourselves a pat on the back as well for what we've achieved uh, currently. An incredible pat on the back. What, what, what's the most important thing? I asked this question of, of, of most people who come on the pod. What's the most important thing that rugby gives you? And I suppose what I mean is, how did the sport of rugby, what did it give you to prepare you for your life post-accident? What did it give you to, to enable you to live the life that you have? I think it's been quite humble uh, in a lot of ways and, and just try to be as grounded as possible. In this situation, you, you taught that uh, Ed just spoke about those um, new ambassadors that we have for the foundation, those young lads who were playing for Leicester Times, playing for England. They're so grounded and so humble considering uh, how... You play in front of 82,000, you're a professional athlete, um, you could let it go to your head. Um, but actually, no, they, they don't. They're just really good, approachable guys who come to the centre and they just get what the foundation's all about. They they talk to our beneficiaries and they understand our beneficiaries. They, I think they, they take a lot from being at the foundation, but also they don't understand the sort of impact that they have on, on our beneficiaries and just seeing seeing that you know one minute being on TV and and uh, playing you know, playing rugby um, at Twickenham in front of eighty two thousand and then and then next being at the centre a few days later and just um, wanted to be a part of the special community so I think for me it's um, yeah rugby's just given me. So, so much, and um, I just call myself very honoured. And uh, I think for me, it's just being grounded and made made friends for life, really. And uh, what a great, what great family that we have. And that's from grassroots, from being at Oakland Rugby Club when I was five years old to yeah, playing at playing at Twickenham when I was fourteen, and then. Being at uh, you know Welford Road and sitting in the Crumby stand and playing it, playing alongside Martin Johnson and uh, guys like that. What's your strongest rugby memory, Matt? When you close your eyes, what's the what's the thing that comes out there? You mentioned a few things there, even at under fourteen level, getting to Twickenham. That must be quite high up. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty good highlight. Um, 
before before or after my accident? Would you say or both? You you can answer it how you want. Uh, answer it both ways. So before and after. So before my accident, obviously singing last anthem in front of my family. Um, I think the first time I ever played for England, when I actually played, first time I played for England, I actually played under-18s, and that was at Welford Road, and running out of the Crumbly Stand at Welford Road and singing that national anthem at Welford Road, that was pretty, that was pretty up there. Yeah, I'd say that was pretty special. Then after my accident, I would say going on the pitch Wilford Road and having a testimonial game with, well, it's Lou Deeks, it's testimonial. Uh, Lewis Deakin chose the Mountain Foundation to support 17,500 people at Wilford Road and it's the biggest attendance that weekend. And Martin Johnson turned out, Trevor Brennan played against him, gave him a few, uh, gave him a few things like that game as well. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty special. That was an amazing time. And the, the players that had turned out for me in that game, Jason Robinson and, and Baby C Club as well. Yeah, that was special. That game, Hambo, I don't know if I've got this right, but Dad Garforth was playing, wasn't he, for the lesser team. Yeah. One, one of the young lads, they had a couple of young lads filling some spots off the bench. He said he's on the pitch and... Daz Garforth was going around chasing, I think, Trevor Brennan down because he knew yeah. he was a psychopath. And he found Trevor at the bottom of a rock and he just said, right, that's it, you're having it. And he just absolutely smashed Trevor Brennan. About five rucks later, Daz Garforth's pinned to the ground. Trevor Brennan comes up to him. Oh, look who's on the wrong side now, mate. And just absolutely creams it. Apparently, Daz Garforth, they're laughing. Just absolutely loves it. It's one of yeah. my favourite stories. Phenomenal, phenomenal, and and how the the Leicester community and Leicester the, the, um, turned out turned out for for both me and and Lou Diggs, and that's testament to me, but especially testament to uh, Lewis Deakin because what a player he was and uh, what, a, what a great guy. Again, it's another question I ask with some trepidation. I was speaking to uh, a rugby player uh, who was articulating some of the regrets he might have about his career. His, his career didn't quite manage to get off the ground and, and he was suggesting that potentially he regretted some of the things that he had done in his career. Is there any way that you can talk about the word regret, Matt Hampson? Do you have any regrets? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, do, I do speak about this. I think when I was a young lad... I think the social aspect sometimes took over the actual the actual playing side. So <laughs> I was I was on the crossover from the the amateur era to the professional era, but I, I don't know if I would change it too much. I think I, I think the social aspect I, I, I loved. I started thinking about the the after game rather than the actual game uh, before before we actually played. Um, sometimes. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember Dusty Dusty Air giving us a crate of beer on the back seat of the coach when we first away game that we played. And Jim Hamilton sat on the back back seat of the coach, and we played at Barker's Butts in the academy. And goes there, crate a twenty four pack of beer, and and uh, Jim Hamilton smoking a cigar. He was a few years older than me. He was nineteen. I was uh, 
I think I was 16, 17 years old. So yeah, those memories are absolutely, absolutely great. But I think moving forward, I think I probably could have been a bit more professional and probably could have had that focused a little bit more on my rugby in that side of things. But I don't know if I would have changed it. I think regrets, there's no point having regrets because I think it's, it makes and shapes us uh, to who we are. And uh, I think life is, yeah, just uh, it's, it's all an experience, isn't it? And uh, although, you know, you have dark times in your life and you have difficulties in your life, you can't um, dwell on those. And there's always a reason for those. There is a reason for those. And I think, like I said, it, it does make and shape you as a person, really. So I think um, you can't have a regret and you're just going to enjoy what we've got and uh, the time we've got here. I've never asked you that, Ed. Do you have any regrets about your rugby career? No, no. Oh, a similar attitude to Hambo in, in the sense that I don't really look back and wish I'd change anything. You do what you do at the time. You can always say, well, maybe you could have done that differently. I, maybe I could have been a bit better there, but no, not not for me. I don't I don't regret any of it. I had a I had a great time. Absolutely loved every minute. Um and I can't be sure that if I change any of it it would have, you know, turned out for the better or for worse. So and plus you can't do it. So no, sim- similar attitude to Hambo there. The uh, third part of our podcast uh, centers on the idea of of what you leave behind. But have there been any memories along the way of the way that you and your foundation, your message, your journey has has had an effect on other people? Are there things that stand out along the way, the way that you've perhaps spoken and, and, and talked to people and changed the way that they might be feeling? Uh, I, suppose, I suppose we help each other. And uh, I, suppose, um, I suppose we just help each other. And uh, I think we just, uh, just crack on and lead by example, really, rather than anything. And I don't think it's really... For me to say with any instances, but I I know that I take so much from from people like Ed, from people that I meet on a day to day basis, and at the foundation, yeah, I come as I'm very privileged and honoured to be have this um, you know this voice and this um, I don't know status is the right word, but you know position I suppose. Metaphorically, what do you hope you you have left others? What do you think your, or what do you hope your your legacy is is going to be in this game of rugby? I don't know, but I think maybe maybe just uh, rugby's uh, just just not forgotten about the the core values of rugby. It's yeah, okay, rugby's a, a, a massive machine and it's changed so much it's obviously a, it's, a, it's a business now it's very much a professional sport it's um, it had to sort of change in, in that way but I hope it's called values and it's family um, family values aren't lost and I hope it sort of looks after its own like it has done with both me, me and dad I really do hope that that's not forgotten about and um, I think it really does keep its values in that way, I suppose. If rugby could speak, what do you think rugby would say about Matt Hampson? Probably just a little chubby lad running around the field and 
playing for Oakland Rugby Club. Yeah, I just wanted to play rugby to the best of his ability and just wanted to play at Welford Road and be a part of that famous ABC club. In the last part, we, we have a, an auction of, of goods in, in aid of the Fort Ed cause. What piece of memorabilia will you leave behind on our podcast to uh, to remind us of you and, and, and tell us about it? Why, why is it so special and, and why are you giving it to Ed? Yeah, I'd like to... Yeah, I'd like to... Uh, give him a, a get busy living flag and uh, the get busy living message is obviously resonates with, with both myself and Ed and I think living living every day to the uh, best of our ability and try to help as many people as possible is is what we are all about and um, trying to leave a legacy of of um, just wanted to help people, and uh, I think Ed's very much um, in the same same way as myself. So yeah, get busy living flag. Mate, I love the the smile on your face talking about those those rugby memories, mate. Being a chubby little kid down at Oakham, and 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 then sitting on the back seat of the coach with Jim Hamilton smoking cigars. I love it. And you're right, mate. That really that that's what we're trying to get across on on the podcast not not smoking cigars necessarily but, <laughs> um but you know that idea of you know i'm incredibly grateful about the people i've met as well as you know playing games and and everything like that but actually it's about people isn't it and i, I think you know i've learned that from yourself uh from your message to get busy living message and it's one of the first things I thought of when I was diagnosed. So was right, I've got to make, make the most of every every day here. I, I've got no control over what's going to happen in the future and when. Uh, and so that's why I think the Get Busy Living message is incredibly important. Absolutely. Matt Hampson, thank you so much for your rugby inheritance. It's been fascinating hearing you talk. A, a real pleasure and privilege to be uh uh, with you uh, on this um, we wish you all the luck with the Hambo Foundation it will go from strength to strength I'm sure we thank you very much for coming on the episode cheers Hambo no worries at all thank you cheers The Rugby Inheritance Podcast is brought to you in association with George Davies Turf, giving you the greenest grass for every lawn, pitch or playing field you have. Find out more at www.georgedaviesturf.co.uk.